Well, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. So glad to be here with you this morning. Man, you guys are singing loudly this morning, and that is so encouraging to me. I love being able to sit up front and just hear the voices of the church lifted up in praise to our God, to sing to Him and to sing over one another. So grateful to be able to do that with you this morning. As Edward said, if you're new here, we're just thankful that God brought you to gather with us. Uh, whether you're checking out churches, trying to find a community to be a part of, you're checking out who Jesus is, wherever you find yourself this morning, uh, just know that we're so thankful that you're here. We'd love to get to know you, and we'll tell you more about how, you can, how we can do that, how you can get involved here uh, at the end of our service today. If you need a Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, there'll be a couple of people who bring a Bible around to you. Just keep your hand up till they find you this morning uh, so that you can read along with us out of God's Word. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews as we have been over the last few months. Uh, and so just keep your hand up till they find you. And please feel free to take that home with you as a gift if you don't own a copy of God's Word. We want you to be able to have that, uh, not just today, but all throughout the week as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time this morning. Awesome God, we come before you this morning, and the fact that we can do that is amazing. The fact that you, the God of all creation, allow us, finite, created human beings, to come into your presence is amazing. And so Lord, I pray that that would not be lost on us, not just now, but each and every moment of every day. And so, Father, this morning, my prayer is that you would be made much of today. Help us to see you for who you are, and then to faithfully follow you in every part of our lives. And Holy Spirit, we ask this morning, as we open up your word, your inspired word, your living and active word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us that you would help us to understand, that you would help your word to take root into our hearts, and by doing that, to change and transform the way we live. And as we go out from here, to change and transform how we interact with those around us. So Father, we pray through the work of your Spirit in our midst this morning that you would do a work in our lives for your glory. We thank you for the gift that it is, this time together. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. What comes to mind for you when you hear the word manifesto? Maybe, maybe you think of uh, the Communist Manifesto, if you're a, a, study, a student of political science or something like that, the, the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels, or even something like the Declaration of Independence is a, is a manifesto of sorts. Or maybe when you hear the word manifesto, what you think of is the online rants of a sociopath. I'm not sure what comes to mind for you when you think of the word manifesto, but a manifesto in its truest sense is a declaration. It's a declaration of one's beliefs and opinions, motives and intentions. It's usually a document of some form that an organization or a person writes declaring what is most important to them. As one blog post I read this week said, a manifesto functions as both a statement of principles and a bold, sometimes rebellious call to action by causing people to evaluate the gap between those principles and their current reality. The manifesto challenges assumptions, fosters commitment, and provokes change. Well, the text we're going to jump into today really is a manifesto of sorts, not just for the original audience that the author of Hebrews is writing to, but for all of us here 
and now. And Hebrews chapter 11, though, is not just any manifesto. It is a faith manifesto. It's a faith manifesto about life as a citizen of the kingdom of God who finds themselves sojourning in the midst of the kingdom of this world. See, we find ourselves in this now and not yet reality. Christ has come. He's inaugurated his kingdom. He's brought us by faith into this kingdom to be made citizens of this kingdom. But we find ourselves in this place where there's still a competing kingdom, a warring kingdom, a a kingdom who's seeking to advance and fight a guerrilla war against the true king and the true kingdom and those that are citizens of it. And so this morning, if you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you come from a long line of faithful followers of Christ. And this faith manifesto that we're going to look at has been an enduring call, a clarion call to God's people to keep moving forward in following Christ in all things and to do so as we wait for his return and the fullness of his kingdom to come. See, something we need to remember throughout all of life is the good news of the fact that victory has been won already in Jesus. It's already been won in Jesus And so that gives us hope now for what is to come in the future. And that's really what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's faith in future grace. It's faith in the faithfulness of God. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is probably the most well-known chapter in the book of Hebrews. But man, I am really looking forward to jumping into this with you over these next few weeks. We're going to be in the book, of, I mean, in the chapter uh, of Hebrews, this chapter of Hebrews for the next few weeks. And, and I'm looking forward to it because even just reading over it again and studying it some this week and thinking about what's to come, it's so encouraging. It's so refreshing. But I also hope that God will use it to transform and challenge us as well. And if you've never read the Bible before, you have no idea what Hebrews 11 is about. That is totally fine. And I'm glad that you're here this morning. And I believe that in God's providence that he has called you to be here this morning. And I'm excited that you get to hear about this call to faith in his word. That God will use this in your life as well as he recounts these stories that we'll walk through over the next few weeks. It's going to be good for for all of us. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on the first three verses. The first three verses of this manifesto, as the author really seeks to set up this amazing treatise of remembrance and continues to call us to walk by faith. And I know for me personally, this week, even just these few verses have been very convicting and challenging to me, and I hope they will be for you as well. So let's jump into it. Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip to that. And we're going to again be reading verses 1 through 3. This is God's word to you and to me this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Last week, we finished up chapter 10 in Hebrews, and the author made a bold and encouraging statement. He said, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And he's saying that not just to this audience, he's saying that to you and to me as well. 
whether in our personal lives, or our life as a church, or our lives as followers of Jesus in an increasingly hostile world, that when we come up against difficulty and challenge, we need to have an enduring faith because without this enduring faith, we will shrink back and be destroyed. But he says, but that's not you. That's not you. I have confidence that's not you. By faith, we are not those people. And so then he launches into this faith manifesto. It's like he, we've been in this fast-moving river And he kind of slows down the current a little bit to help us just to slow down and think about when he says faith, do I really understand what that means? Because depending on your background and your experience with church and being around God's people, we use the word faith a lot, but do we really grasp the gravity of what it means? When he does this to seek to do this by illustrating faith lived out through the history of of God's people. And so verse 1, chapter 11, begins with, now faith is. Now faith is. And this is this prologue for the countless stories of faith that he's going to share. It's setting the scene of what's to come. And so he begins not with an exhaustive definition of faith. I don't want us to look at verse 1 and think this is the complete full definition of faith, but he does through this give a description of faith, in particular a faith that perseveres. I mean, we're talking about scripture, memory, and man school, and it's good to hide God's word in your heart. That as you hide it in your heart and your mind, it transforms how you live as you recall it back to the forefront of your mind as you walk about and live life. And this is a good verse to memorize. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word assurance is a strong word. It means that there's a surety of something, a confidence in something. And in, in this case, it's the confidence, the surety of a future hope, a future reality. And so right here, we already see that this is not just a general sense of hope or faith, but a specific hope of future grace, that all that God has said he will do, actually believing that he'll do it. All that God has said he will do, actually believing that he will do it. He also says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. Again, there's a strong word there. Conviction is an is a intense word. And it's rooted in belief. It's locked down in a rock-solid belief in God. But notice what he says, conviction of things not seen. It's this rock-solid belief in who God is, even though you may not be able to physically see him with your eyes. As one scholar says, faith is the organ that enables believers to see what is currently invisible. Because when you and I walk through life, there's oftentimes, just through the challenges of life, whether that's an intense challenge that's Uh, comes at a specific time in your life or just the daily challenges of life just the mundaneness of life at times that that can cloud our vision that can create confusion where it's almost like our eyes are fuzzy if you don't have good eyes right now you take off your glasses your contacts it's difficult for you to see what's in front of you and what he's saying is faith is what enables you to see clearly enables you to see clearly who God is and what he's doing it is a humble confidence faith is a humble confidence to continue to move forward in joy not because you know all the answers 
but because you trust in and believe in the faithfulness of God to see you through. Your confidence isn't in yourself, but it's in him to see you through to the end. What that means then is that faith isn't sentimentality. Faith isn't wishful thinking. It's not a nice sounding phrase. When I think about faith, I think about the George Michael song, right? You got to have faith. I won't sing it for you. Or the, or the Limp Biscuit version of that song if you grew up in the 90s. Um, it, it's not just a nice sounding phrase. Oh yeah, you got to have faith. Let's just have faith. It's not faith in faith. I think culture oftentimes talks about that. It's good to have faith in faith. I don't even know what that means. It isn't belief without knowledge. Sometimes people say, well, you have faith. That's because you don't really know anything. It, it, it isn't something that you have where you ignore what you've been told. To where you say, well, I have faith, but I'm just going to ignore the facts of, of what is out there. And faith isn't a feeling. Feelings are important to the Christian life. Emotions are good things. God has created us to have emotions. He's created us to have feelings, but they're not the same as faith. Because all of us know that our feelings will come and go. They'll rise and fall depending on what's going on in our life and how we're doing. But faith can remain strong. Faith isn't a blind leap. Like, hope it works out. We just dive off the edge. No, faith is certitude. It's certainty. Because faith is rooted in something. More specifically, faith is rooted in someone. See, it's rooted in the character and nature of our triune God. It's rooted in the Father and the Son and the Spirit who has and is and will be faithful to his plans and his purposes and his promises and his people. And we can look back over the history of God's people and see that. And that's most of what Hebrews 11 is all about. See, the author is calling his original audience, he's calling us to have this kind of real, genuine faith in a real and faithful God. And so he seeks to lay out these examples through this long chapter, these people of old, as he says in verse 2. But these people of old, they're not legendary figures, like in the sense of like, maybe they did those things, maybe they didn't, right? We can start to build up things as legendary in our lives as we look back sometimes. But that's not what he's doing here. He's recounting and actually painting a picture of the history of God's people and the faithfulness of God to his people. And this redemptive plan that's worked out throughout history. But notice what he says about these people in verse 2. This is important for us to remember as we walk throughout Hebrews chapter 11. What does he say about them? We need to keep this in mind. He says, by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. What does God commend? Their perfect obedience? No, because they didn't have that. What he commends is their faith. That their hope was in him and the promises that he made to them. Get this, even when they didn't see them fully realized in their lifetime. They are known in the history of God's people. They are commended and used as an example of God's people. Not because they're necessarily good examples of obedience. As we'll see reading through this is that many of these people that he brings up messed up in like huge ways, significant ways. 
the reason they're commended, the reason that you and I know about them today is because they didn't shrink back in the midst of that. They continue to press forward, often, often faltering and stumbling along the way as they did so. And it was because of their faith in God, not their faith in themselves, not their faith in their circumstances, their faith in God and his promises that they were declared then righteous by God because they believed him. They had faith in future grace. They had faith and understood their need for a rescuing, redeeming, reconciling God. And so they placed their faith in him. See, the promises that God made to each of these people, which we'll see teased out in detail through this journey, through this faith manifesto, these promises meant so much to them, so much to them that they regulated their whole entire life around them. Everything about their life was regulated around them, even without physically visible evidence that they would actually be fulfilled. That when God called them to move their family and go, they did, even though they didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. When God said he was going to do something, they moved to an action because God said he was going to do that thing, whatever it happened to be. They trusted in the who more than the what. They trusted in the character of God who made these promises. Simply put, they took God at his word and they directed their lives accordingly. They took God at his word and they directed their lives accordingly. And so they walked by faith, not in what could be seen or known in the moment, but with assurance and conviction of what was to come. And don't miss this. Their faith, this assurance and conviction, this faith, it it moved them to action. See, that's what real, true faith does. Faith, genuine faith that we're going to see in this is not about an ascent to a, a system of belief. It's not even really, at the end of the day, just about the belief in the existence of God, though that has to be a part of it. It's that because of what you believe, because of who God is, then we move forward. We put one foot in front of the other and continue on this journey. Because life is a journey. The scriptures oftentimes refer to life as a race. Not that you're competing against those around you, but that you want to finish and cross the finish line. God calls his people to be faithful. He calls them to faithful obedience for his glory and for our good. Scripture tells us he saved us by grace, but then he's prepared good works for us to walk in, to live out. And that's why James says in the book of James what he does about faith. In chapter 2, he says, faith without works is dead. It isn't that the works or trying to be a good person earn you something with God. They don't save you from sin. But these works are evidence. It's what faith produces. As your faith is rooted in Christ, if you think of yourself as a tree, which we've talked about recently, and those roots are down in Christ, your faith is in Christ, then the fruit of your life, what it produces then are these good works. This movement, this moving forward, this walking in obedience, it comes from a new life in Jesus. So we have this picture of faith that he's painting. He's setting up this introduction about what faith looks like. And he's going to use all of these different pictures and stories to help us understand more of what that looks like for our own lives. But then we come to verse 3. And and when I read this, like verse 1 and 2 go together, and then verse 3 seems a little bit odd that he mentions this here. Let's read it again. He says, By faith, 
we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what is he saying and why is he saying this here? Well, he's talking about God bringing about all of creation. And how does he do this? How does he do it? He does it with the word of his mouth. He speaks creation into existence. It's what the psalmist declares in Psalm 36. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. What an amazing, incomprehensible reality that God spoke everything into creation, that anything you see, God brought about. And he didn't do it with with magic dust or a, a magic wand. He spoke it into creation, spoke it into existence. Nothing existed And then God spoke, and there it was. That's mind-blowing. It's the doctrine of what we call creation ex nihilo, that out of nothing, God created everything. Yesterday, I was down in the Chesapeake area, Norfolk area, doing a wedding, officiating a wedding. And I was driving. Man, I love going down there, because you're like right on the water. And you're driving around. There's these huge boats around. Navy ships that are around, and there's just water everywhere. It's just flat. And I was just looking. I was just like, this is crazy. Like, I should come down here more often just to look at this. Because when I look at that, I'm in awe of the fact that I'm so tiny. I'm so small, yet God made all of that. And he did it by just opening his mouth. That's crazy. Now listen, we don't have time today to get into the specifics and nuances of science and faith. But I will say this, science and faith are not mutually exclusive of one another. In fact, I would say science bolsters our faith. That the more we understand about different aspects of life, as we understand different things about about the world, the physical world around us, as we study and learn about DNA and how plants work and animals work and all of creation, all those things, it should cause us to be in awe. That the God of all creation made such intricate, detailed things including ourselves. It's an amazing reality. We are so finite in our understanding. We think we know so much and we have no idea. We still don't know why people yawn. We should be in awe of the fact that God spoke and everything came into existence. How do we know this? He says by faith. Understanding is realized by faith because we trust in who did these things. So they're not mutually exclusive of one another. We can comprehend things because we trust and believe in the who. And again, that presses on that enlightenment thought that all of us can struggle with in times. That if it can't be completely explained, then it must be rejected. But what we see here is that true knowledge is not independent of true faith. So why, though, does he bring this up here? Why does he start talking about this here in this chapter? He starts with creation, not because that's where God begins. God has no beginning and he has no end. He starts here because this is where the biblical story starts. It's the first opportunity for us to see the greatness and the faithfulness of God. See, something you and I need to realize when we read verse 3, when we start to see this, that if God's word was able to bring about all of creation into existence, then God's word is still sufficient for you in all of your life. All of your life. It's the same God, the same power. And He speaks to you now. 
And see, it's by the word of God that he tells us what he is doing and where this is all going. And so we can have confidence in that. God's word tells us that he's bringing about redemption to a broken down world. The final blow to Satan's sin and death will come. He is conforming us. If we are in Christ, he is conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. He is working out all things together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose, to make us more like Jesus. And he will come again and he will make all things new. Faith, then, is an effective power in your life right now directed towards the future. That you can navigate life and the difficulties of life now because you're not just focused on now but forever in what God is doing. And it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's rooted in something. It's rooted in someone, a personal encounter with the living God. And so this, this forward-looking capacity that we've been given to be able to see clearly what God is doing, even if we can't see in the specifics of the moment, we can look to the end and know that God will make all things new. It gives us the ability to venture out in life courageously and boldly and peacefully even into the unseen, supported by the word of God, the same word that brought our world into existence, the same word that declares to you now, I will be your God and you will be my people. So what are you and I to do with this now? Well, the world we find ourselves in oftentimes doesn't have a lasting hope. It doesn't have a lasting hope. Or, or the things that we do put our hope in, eventually disappoint us. And when we're disappointed, it leads to despair. And so we put hope in leaders and their great promises of the great things they're going to do for us and our country and our world. We put our hope in our finances, our things, because they give us worth and comfort, pleasure. We can put our hope in our looks or our physical abilities because if we're honest, we like the idea of lasting forever, unchanged. We put hope in relationships, whether that be a friendship or a dating relationship or marriage or kids, because we believe that other people will complete us, will make us whole. And so we have faith in those things. That's where we try to put our assurance. That's where we try to put our convictions. In faith, they will deliver on their promises of fullness and comfort and peace. And none of those things last. Leaders fail us time and time and time again. Finances come and go. Nothing endures beyond the grave. Your looks and your physical ability, it will diminish over time. No matter what you do to try and stop that or change that. Relationships are gifts from God and they'll disappoint you because people don't last forever and because we still struggle with sin and selfishness. So all of those things will go away. And all of us, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, are tempted to put our faith in those things. But see, the author is calling us to have faith, not in the fleeting things of this world, but faith in a true hope, a hope that will not fade, a hope that endures forever. And see, I think where this begins for us, where we have to start with this, is it begins with understanding our own need for rescue. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us an accurate picture of this. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this about us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Then he goes on and says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. He paints this picture of our reality and he says it's by grace that God saves you. He made a way. And guess what the gift is? It's that he gave you faith to believe that's true. To trust in him. To start that relationship with him. God has lavished his grace upon grace on us because of what Christ has done for us. Dying the death that all of us deserve to die for our sin and rebellion and then being raised again from the grave to give us life now and forever. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's faith that takes hold of that grace. It acknowledges that I need that. I'm desperate for that. Believing that it's in and through and by Jesus and Jesus alone that you can be rescued, that you can be restored, that there is a future hope that's worth looking forward to. Maybe you don't yet know Jesus. Well, this is for you too. See, being a Christian is not about a bunch of rules to follow. It's not about a bunch of regulations to conform to. It's knowing that you are desperate for grace and believing that it's in and through Jesus and what he's done for you, that it's available to you, that he took on your sin and your shame to set you free and make you new. So come to him today by faith, believing that with an assurance and a conviction. Romans 5.1 says that we are justified, that we are made right with God by faith, and that because of that, we now have peace with God. 1 Peter 1.3 says that we are born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, We have a living hope where we can continue to move forward, born again to that, an active hope waiting for our full redemption where sin and death and darkness will be no more. See, what we need to understand and see is that our whole life in Christ, it starts with faith, but we never move on from faith. It starts with faith, but we never move on from faith until faith gives way to sight. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle John says this, this is one of my favorite texts of Scripture. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Right? He's painting this picture. We belong to God now. We're God's children now. But what we're going to be isn't here yet. And then he says this, But we know. There's faith. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall see him. What an amazing day when our blessed hope comes again, when Christ returns to bring us home, to bring about the new heavens and the new earth and the fullness of the kingdom of God. We get to see him. And when we see him, we'll be made fully like him. See, God's desire For your life right now is that you would walk in holiness, that you would walk in obedience to him. 
But holiness will only be pursued when you believe God's promises are true. When you believe that his ways are good. When you believe that all of his commands are for your joy. That is the faith that God commends. So hold fast now. Keep believing now. For one day, that good work that God has begun in you, he will bring to completion. The problem, though, for a lot of us that arises in the day-to-day of life, instead of us walking by faith, is that we either tend towards fear or foolishness. My wife doesn't like bugs very much. In fact, her least favorite, most fear-inducing bug is what we affectionately call around our house the America World Bug. The reason for that is because she worked at America World Adoption Agency and she saw a lot of these bugs around. In fact, I have a picture. Can you put that bug up on the screen? Boom. Can you see that? Gives me, gives me the heebie-jeebies looking at it. It's called a house centipede. That's its actual name. And when she sees one of these things, they have like a bajillion legs and are super fast and seem indestructible unless you just straight up smash them with a shoe. She doesn't want to go near it. I mean, she freezes up. She doesn't touch it. She kind of does this. Like she just is like, ah, like screams and doesn't want to see it. Doesn't want to kill it. Doesn't want to get near it. That's my job. So just call me to come do that. Man, that's what fear does, right? Good, it's off the screen. (laughs) That's what fear does, right? It causes frozenness. We see something, we come up against something, and we freeze. We have an inability to move forward, an inability to do what God is calling us to do. Whatever that obstacle might be, that figurative mountain in your life that you come up against, you either freeze or you run the opposite direction. God's people did this. They came up to the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh is approaching them behind them, so all they see is people coming after them to kill them, destroy them, or enslave them again, and a sea in front of them. And they freeze. They freak out. All of a sudden, they've forgotten everything that God's done for them in that moment. So sometimes when we're not walking by faith, you might tend towards fear. But some of us tend towards foolishness. We can also respond foolishly. It's foolish to come up to an obstacle in your life and charge ahead without using the means of grace that God has given to you, the community around you, prayer, his word, just your brain. You actually stop and think about this. Oftentimes we applaud people who are willing to charge the hill, who are willing to charge the hill for Jesus even. But listen, if we charge the hill as a fool, we'll likely get shot in the face. Not much life's going to happen after that. We need to understand that fear and foolishness are rooted in control. And faith is rooted in God. And this is why the opposite of the kind of faith the author is calling us to and God commends. So where do you tend to gravitate towards when you're not walking by faith? Do you tend towards fear or foolishness in your life? Because see, faith is what draws me out of fear. And draws me back from foolishness. It draws me out of fear to continue to move forward, but also draws me back from foolishness not to make foolish decisions about life or ministry or any of those things. It's by faith because true biblical faith is rooted in God. God who is actually in control. God who at any given point is doing thousands upon thousands of things in your life and in this world 
that are completely impossible for you to comprehend or understand. Church, faith is about taking God at his word. That he'll never leave you or forsake you. That Christ will be with you to the very end of the age. That he will bring you all the way home. That he is working in your life. That none of his sheep will be lost. Faith in him is what sustains you now. See, at times when I've wanted to give up, when I've wanted to walk away, it's faith in the word and the promise of God that enables me to keep moving forward. So where in your life right now are you struggling to take God at his word? Where are you struggling to take God at his word? Recently for me, I've been struggling with faith when it comes to God's provision for our church and I find myself worrying and anxious and spinning and thinking more about it than praying about it. And I, I, I realized last week even that I, that I had started to believe that I love this church more than Jesus does. Than I want to control. But instead of being fearful, instead of acting foolish, when things are hard in my life or I don't understand what's going on, what I want to happen is I want it to make me more desperate for him, not lead to despair to trust him, to believe that he's faithful and good. And I want the same for you too. See, Sojourn, we need a rebirth of faith. Or maybe for some of you this morning, you need a first birth of faith. Abounding hope. Abounding hope in an extraordinary God that leads to extraordinary action. On Thursday of this week, I was struggling. There's just a lot going on. It's been a really full and busy month. And, and on Thursday morning, I was feeling overwhelmed and stressed out and, and just tired. And my wife sent me this text. I wasn't walking by faith in those moments. I was more concerned about my circumstances. And Amy sent me this text, these verses from Ephesians 3. I just want to read them over us this morning. Paul is praying this for the Ephesian church. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. There's the greatness of God. That's who I'm praying to. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Man, do you need strength to walk by faith today? Ask God to do that within you. But then he says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he ends with this doxology, this praise to God. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's praying this for this church who needed to be reminded and strengthened and encouraged in faith. And that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you. See, faith is what enables us as a church to reach our neighbors and the nations, to go to hard places, because we believe, we know, we have an assurance, a conviction that God will save people from every tribe, language, and nation. 
Faith is what enables us to let go of our things and give them willingly and fully to God and his mission because we know, we believe, we have assurance and conviction that he's working in and through his church to make much of himself in this world. Faith is what enables us to continually and patiently love and guide our kids, pointing them to Jesus over and over and over again because we know We believe, we have assurance and a conviction that Jesus is their only hope in life and death. Faith is what enables us to navigate through the pain and suffering in this life because we know, we believe, we have an assurance and a conviction of a hope and a restored future. That's the kind of faith, the kind of life that the whole book of Hebrews is aiming to produce. Not a life of fear, Not a life of foolishness, but a life of faith. A life that looks at the high cost of following Jesus. And it is high. A high cost of following Jesus and joyfully accepts it and does whatever God calls us to because we believe God can do more than we think or imagine. Everything we've looked at throughout this series with that call to believe that Jesus is actually better that he's better than anything this world promises to you, anything this world offers to you. It's shaping us to be a people of deeply intense faith because we have a deeply intense hope. The inverse is also true, though. If you don't live by this kind of assurance of things hoped for, if you don't live with this conviction of things not seen, if your confidence is not in the resurrected Christ on a regular daily basis, you will continually be thinking about how much you are losing every time you make a sacrifice for Jesus or for the kingdom or for others. But faith celebrates the future of what's to come, willingly saying, God, whatever you are asking, I will do. You see, it isn't just about you. This is this kind of faith and future grace, a future hope that can take the hand of the despairing in our city, our country, our world, and lead them to a place of true healing, a restored and renewed hope, walking with them as we journey there ourselves. And it's why we need one another. This isn't just something for you to take home and say, okay, I want to pray, God, would you do this in my life? We need one another because we have to be honest, we struggle to believe these things. We'll walk out of here today and we'll confront the week or the week will confront us and we'll find ourselves on a Tuesday afternoon not believing again. That's why we need community around us to call us back to faith in God, not our circumstances, not ourselves, but faith in a God who is faithful. And so my call for us today is very simple yet profound for our life. My call today is that we would pray consistently and fervently for ourselves and for one another, just like the first disciples did in Luke 17, 5. All they said was, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. It's a simple prayer, but the ramifications for that are enormous. Man, would you pray that this week? And not even this this week, but the week after that, and the months and the days and the years ahead. Lord, increase our faith. And then let's stand back in awe and move forward in action because he, he who called this world into existence by the power of the word of his mouth is faithful. Amen? Amen. We're going to come forward now to take communion. And we get an opportunity to express our faith.
in this act. Because we get up out of our seats and we move forward, we come to the table to eat the bread and drink the cup, pictures of Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And so when we move forward in action, it's rooted in a belief that Jesus is who he said he is. And he came to do what he said he came to do and he will come again to bring us home. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So partaking of this meal every single week is an act of faith. So maybe this morning before you come, you need to pray and talk with God about where you've been struggling to believe, where you're struggling to take him at his word. And just take a moment and pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, increase my faith. And then come and eat and drink because Jesus has declared and demonstrated that it is finished. Take heart. He has overcome the world. And those of you that are not yet followers of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion. Because if you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, then this is just going through the motions for you. It isn't an act of faith for you yet. So I'd invite you to make your first act of faith just hanging out in your seat and praying to God and asking him to save you. Believing that Jesus died for you. And then let somebody around you know that so that we can journey with you as you continue to journey with Jesus. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take one of the cups to drink and hear the words of what Christ has done for you, spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time we've had with one another. God, you have shown yourself faithful time and time again, not just in our individual lives. We could spend days, weeks, years just recounting your faithfulness to us. But God, we're so grateful for Hebrews 11 that gives us an opportunity, a peek into your faithfulness throughout generations and generations for thousands and thousands of years. And so God, we pray that you would help us to be a faithful people. Help us in the midst of our unbelief, in the midst of our doubt, Lord, we're grateful for your grace that you're so patient with us in that. But Lord, we pray, we pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Would you do that in our lives? Would you do that in our church? Would you increase our faith that we would trust in and follow you no matter what because you are good and you are faithful. We praise your name today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.